welcome to episode 49 of Man vs. Business. My name is Les Janes, and I am here with my co-host, Sean McManaman. This week, Sean and I are discussing other types of business process mapping. So, with that, let's start the show. Hey, Les, how are you? I am doing fine. How are you doing? I'm doing well. We kind of reversed our greetings this time. We did. We did. I thought I'd shake <laughs> things up. There you go. We need a little shaking every once in a while. So um, this week I thought we would uh, go a little bit deeper into uh, diagrams. Last week we talked about specifically about um, value stream mapping. And I think we did that just because uh, I think both of us are in, in agreement that value stream mapping kind of adds the best of many worlds into a single diagram and and can do a lot of things in a single setting. Right. Um, but but I don't think that null and gates um, the other the other diagrams that are out there. Um, well, you know that's the thing. There are many tools, and you know what? There's many tools that do similar similar outputs um, to get to the same you know, end result, but it's just a matter of what works well in your environment, what you like to work with, what is received well by the people that you are, you know, working with and uh, having on the project. Right. So I guess we probably ought to start off with what other diagrams we're talking about. Because in actuality, we've talked about two in the past. We've talked about the value stream map, and we've talked about the SIPOC diagram. Mm -hmm. And and most um, organizations doing any type of diagramming should always start with the SIPOC diagram. And, I, and just to kind of reiterate why uh, we discussed a little bit was just because it gives you a good basis for the 50,000-foot level, and it bookends your process, keeps you on scope, uh, kind of gives everybody... It's I kind of think of it as the, um, what do you call it, the um, cliff notes uh, to a, a, a bigger book. You know, it, it, the SIPOC kind of gives you the summary of what you're trying to diagram. With, so that's why it makes it a good place to start. Yeah, it's the 50-foot uh, level, 50,000-foot level, and the um, elevator speech for, you know, that process. You know? Yeah. If you, uh, if you, tell everybody what an elevator speech is. Well, an elevator speech <laughs> is basically, if you know, what it is is if you get in an elevator and somebody says, hey, what do you do, who do you work for, you've got a nice, concise description of what you do, you know, that, that can be discussed in an elevator ride and, and, and not in an elevator ride of a 110-story building, of a quick elevator ride. <laughs> One that's uh, four or five four floors. Yeah, right. So, so some of the other process diagrams we're talking about is, um, you know, uh, process steps diagram. Uh, uh, one that I've used quite a bit is a swim lane diagram. Um, uh, uh, Spaghetti diagram. diagram, spaghetti diagram, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think all of those have a place. You know, spaghetti diagram is usually trying to map out uh, the flow between locations. So it usually works with a map uh, and has uh, locational information so that you can kind of help you figure out if you're doing too much walking or repeating of locations. Um, swim lane. If you're doing a large process that goes over multiple, um, goes over multiple disciplines, mm -hmm. swim lane is is the way to go uh, with that. Kind of helps 
everybody get on the same page of who's involved in what part of the process is. So it kind of lets people know, you know, you know, accounting is involved in this process, engineering is involved in that, you know, so it kind of helps with that. And then, of course, the, I think the, the most famous would be the, the process diagram or the workflow diagram where you get into the details. So it kind of shows, you know, the detail level from, from um, branching from that 50,000-foot view getting into the actual detail steps. Yeah, and, and I don't know, maybe I combine a few of them together or at least use, sure. use some of them as a, a conglomerate of, of the information that I want to, one, work on, and two, be available for people once it's done. So my, my process diagram is a swim lane diagram so that it shows what, what is happening in, in each box, but then what is the connection to other departments. So if, if I were to say what, what, I, what I would build as my uh, process improvement structure, SIPOC diagram, process, or, uh, process flow diagram that's with swim lanes, and then a spaghetti diagram because then I like to show, hey, all this work that, that you guys are talking about, what actually happens to the paper? So when I do like purchasing, I, I, I grab the file and I walk it and I look, look at how far this thing has to go and how many times back and forth it goes between two different areas. So I really like that one to to graphically show the effect of of the whole process because people what I find is that people only see what's inside their little box. So showing what what happens outside their box and the amount of time it takes kind of brings everybody to the same understanding because unfortunately you do see a little bit of, well, I do my part. I don't know why the whole process takes forever, you know, and then you have these words like forever and there's the, uh, the inverted quotes there, <laughs> yeah, the inverted commas, as, as my friend from the UK says, um, you know, why does it take forever? So they, 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 they throw stones, but they live in a glass house. Try to, you try to minimize that by showing graphical diagrams of actual data. Yeah, and so, you know, we talked about that SIPOC being the 50,000-foot view, and then I think the level that you're talking about there is really what most uh, books talk about as being either a level one or a level two, uh, you know, process map where you're actually taking and defining the steps and then branching out from there into other types of diagrams to help give you some some detail as to what's going on, such as the spaghetti map uh, or doing your level one in a swim lane. Now, you can't really, it, it, it is very difficult to do a swim lane with a very deep process map. Um, so it can be done, not to say it can't be done, but it does get rather confusing to read because it gets rather large. So I still think of a, a swim lane as maybe uh, talking in a 20,000 foot level or a 10,000 foot level. Uh, now, I hear people say these, these levels of detail all the time, 50,000, 20,000, ground level. I, I never know really what that means. It, it has, it, it, you know, I, I understand it's to give you some relevancy of, of detail, but yeah, I just don't, I don't get that. And, you know, that's, that's a good point, and it goes back to kind of what I said regarding all the tools that are available to you. You know, use what is out there to your benefit. There's no hard and fast, as far as I'm concerned, no hard and fast rules as to when you can use a diagram 
a specific kind of diagram or specific type of tool and to what depth you go, you go to. So, you know, there, there's expectations of a certain level of detail throughout most of these tools. But, you know, the thing is get to a point where, where you're, you're good and you can use it and realize that continuous improvement is, is, is just that continuous. So you get to a level that everybody understands, everybody can work with, uh, especially if you're starting this project to implement process improvement with an existing group of people that understand, think they understand what they do in their job. And you're, pro- you're, you're just trying to gather them together to understand the process from front to back. So there's, there's going to be a level of, of understanding that is attained between the, the, uh, the people in that process. And there's going to be a high level of existing knowledge. So what you need to do is, is bring everybody up to that same level so that everybody's even of existing knowledge. And so there, you, know, you might not have to go so deep the first, at least the first time through. Right. I agree. Um, I think that one of the things that I wanted to get into with this discussion and why I wanted to kind of continue the discussion of, of process maps was not necessarily uh, the details of, of creating them, I think that most people can figure out or find plenty of resources on creating a, a SIPOC diagram or creating a process map, uh, you know, places that show you the symbology to use and things like that. But let's discuss the importance of why you're even doing it in the first place, because I think that that's the value in even doing the exercise. And I can think of two things um, as to why you're doing this. The first one being very simple, which is the fact that you're needing to understand current state. Okay, so I think that understanding the the current state of of your work is very important, and and doing it with a visual map gives you that picture. The second one is the real value of doing a process map, and that is looking for opportunities for improvement. And I've got a list of them here that... uh, I think we should discuss, but do you do you know of any other reasons why you do a process map besides those two? No, I mean I think that those are the overarching reasons to be doing a process yeah. map, right? Pro- like I said, and and I think you maybe you said it more elegantly and more concise than me. And he's getting when I said getting everybody up to that that baseline level of knowledge. That's that's what is the existing process and make sure everybody understands what is happening, right? Because I and, and I guess maybe I look I look at this and tell me if if you you look at it differently I, I look at it as as I want everyone to know what the process does from from front to back they have their own part in it but the thing is if they don't understand the the um, effort that goes into to their input and then where their output goes then they're not as effective as they could be. Right, and, you know, to, and I to me, I look at it. I look at it like baseball. If I can make a baseball analogy, it would sure. be like if the shortstop didn't know, you know, what happened around the field if the ball got hit to the outfield. You know what I mean? The shortstop, you know, the shortstop is supposed to go out and cut off a ball that's hit the left field, right? The second baseman is supposed to cover. So everybody's got to know what the what the beginning of the play to the end of the play requires of them, their part, mm-hmm. and then their support. Not that they have to do it, but the fact that they've got to at least understand that something exists out there. Absolutely. I like that. That was good. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I think that from the perspective of utilizing the map, once you've created one, uh, I've got a list of some items here that I wanted to touch on uh, as to what you should look for so that you can then take that map and try to figure out ways of making your, your process better. So the first one that they bring up here is automation opportunities. I actually think that that one's probably one of the last ones you should look for. Right. Um, because I don't think you should always make the leap towards automation. Um, I think that's dangerous. Right. And where I would jump in there and, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to talk about, you know, what quick fixes don't you go after or what, what people think are quick fixes that you should not attempt first thing. Yeah, but and if I had to order these, automation opportunities would have been last. I completely agree. I completely agree. First of all, for two reasons. One, if you get a bunch of people into a room and say, hey, what's our process? Okay, now how can we automate this so we don't need half of you? Then that's not a good way to start. Well, and usually automation opportunities are usually expensive. Yes. They're difficult to implement. Uh, they require some other tool or activity or they just are all around, um, you know, very difficult to put in place right off the bat from an improvement standpoint. Right. And, and yeah, when, and when you talk about, you know, process improvement, we're saying that you already know what the process is. So you, you, you can't automate something that you don't know how it manually works. Yeah, agreed. Uh, the second one, though, material handling. I think that's a perfect one to, to be able to start. If you're doing a whole lot of material handling activities, that is a great place to start weaning things out. And, and I believe that handling is one of the seven wastes. Mm -hmm. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, duplication, that's another thing to look for. Look for duplicate activities. Uh, and, you know, hope, and those are also ones that don't show up on your process map as easily. Uh, until you kind of start auditing your process map, and then you find out there's duplicate activities going on. But that's a great area to kind of hit a low-hanging fruit. Right. Duplicate activities. And the re and I always go into why do you have duplicate activities. One of the problems that I see is that duplicate activities happen when there is a lack of trust. And there's a lack of trust that somebody's going to get their, job, their part of the job done, and then they kind of subvert that process and, and have somebody else pretty much do the same thing just in case the first person doesn't get their part of the job done. And right. uh, that, that, that just eats away at the whole organization. So you want to look next, out for that. The next one they had listed on here was redundancy. Again? Which I, I think that's... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I threw that in there. I, whenever, whenever I hear redundancy, I say, yeah, redundancy again. <laughs> uh, Decisions. Yeah. That's a big one. Decisions and sign-offs. Those, I definitely think, uh, need to be looked at and, and questioned well, as it's... far as value uh, because there's a lot of bureaucracy that does not need to exist in hierarchy, sign-offs, and decision-making. Because uh, usually it goes back to what you said earlier, trust. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, we've talked about this before because sign-offs and... and second checks and things like that is, is a, is an issue with power. Um, you yeah. know, the, the people, the people that are inserted in a process that really don't have to be, and that gets rooted out during a, a process improvement exercise, 
usually don't want to have their part of the process skipped because that's information to them and information is power. And just, I, I'm just, I'm not, and don't come, don't think that I'm coming across as, you know, the mean side of people or the, the, uh, uh, that everybody's evil. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, everybody's not evil, and that these things are these things are always bad. You know, I I, I try to be the, the the people type person. You know, going and talking to people, and so finding out, you know, why they think that 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 step is is important. You can get to the bottom line reason why you know they feel like they have to be inserted in the process when it's not necessary. Right. Uh, delays is the next one they had in here. Uh, look for delays across your process map. Where are things getting held up? Where are things getting bottlenecked? Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a good one to go after. Well, I'll tell you, maybe it, maybe it hits home is what the problem is. is are those people that are in the process that, that want the information as a sign-off because information is power to them, that's where your delays happen, too. Yes. Because it's not is. part of their, their critical operation. It's only a side collateral duty for them. But yep. they like to know what's going on. So where does the holdup happen? In their inbox. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing to look for in your map, uh, if you've got a lot of uh, loops, mm -hmm. uh, what, what's called rework loops, you should be definitely questioning every one of those. You know, why are we looping back uh, for this change or for... Uh, this uh, re-review, hmm. um, yeah, you know, drawings is the famous example. Uh, checks, recheck, find mistakes, redraw, check again. You know, I I know that nobody's perfect, um, but getting creative with how you can uh, pokey yoke even those drawings is something that you should try to invest in. I remember. Um, uh, uh, an, an employee that I had many years ago went to work for a different company, and one of the things he was telling me was that he was redrawing um, their product line in a logic-based uh, scenario so that the drawings were developed based on questions. Uh, you answered questions, mm -hmm. and it developed the drawing. And... Um, I just thought that was interesting because it meant that they weren't drawing from scratch once the template was done, you know. So, you know, just kind of, a, you know, creative ideas like that. I think there are ways to, to do some of that stuff. But, uh, you know, you get a lot of old regime that, you know, hey, I came from the drawing board mm -hmm. back in my day, you know. Uh, and it, they always go back to the creative side of drawing. Well, it's no longer creative anymore. Well... You're right. To some degree, you're right. But right. What you what you have to get over there is is something that we talked about for the last year: planning and investment. In order yeah. to in order to build something that can go through a logical process, you've got to think ahead and prepare so that when those questions are answered, the appropriate information is available. So, you know, without a doubt, you you should embrace new thinking. Um, but realize that you know you've got a plan for it, and that should be a good thing. Take that take that investment now to save in the long run. Right. So the last thing they had listed on here, and this is one I want to cover a little bit uh, more in depth, was uh, value added and non value added. So look for value added steps and non value added steps, and vet those with everybody in, in the team. But you know, of course, value added is is a pretty small uh, list of 
of items that make up value add. So value add is is physical change in product is a value added step. Customers willing to pay for the step or service, and then first time yield is 100% done right the first time. <laughs> so those are the steps that get to to be classified as value add. And if you go through a process map, they say that literally. Uh, 80% is usually non-value added and only 20% is value added. Yep. And that gets everyone excited. <laughs> it shouldn't, but it does. Well, you know, it gets people excited on both sides of the spectrum because then you have the people that will argue that, you know, you can't get the product out without these reviews, without these checks, without these other things. Well, those really aren't value add. So... How do you? This is this is where the leadership side of it comes in. How do you um, encourage people to think um, innovatively while realizing that those handful of items are really only value add? How do we convert what we what we do now into just value add, or, or at least minimize the non value add? Right. I don't think you'll ever be able to get rid of all your right. non value added items. And I know from a purist, that's a bad thing for me to say. But on the flip side, I'm a realist. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know what? And I'm trying to think of an example. Like, what would be just straight value add? You know, you know what I guess would be. Well, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think. If you go to the ice cream store and you want an ice cream, you're willing to pay two dollars for somebody to pour, to put an ice cream in a cone and hand it to you. Right. Okay. But there's other steps to prepare the ice cream and everything like that. That that might not be value-added, but if you just look at that short little process. Those two steps. Those two steps. Scoop out the ice cream, put it on a cone. And hand it to you. Now the f and the fact that you had to exchange money and the fact that he had to load up his bin with ice cream, mm -hmm. those are all non-value-added items. Yeah. As far as, you know, as far as the pure definition goes. Now, the, some of the things they list out in non-value-added would be things like setup. So your ice cream thing, mm -hmm. whatever it took to set it up, that's mm -hmm. non-value added. Preparation, the things it took to prepare that ice cream, non-value added. Any meetings that he had. <laughs> yeah. What what ice cream are we going to put in the bin today? We're going to put, yeah. you know, chocolate and vanilla and strawberry. That's it. You know, any of the seven wastes, mm -hmm. of course, are non-value add. Uh, inspection. And, and the caveat to inspection is if it's not business or regulatory requirements associated to it. There's obviously uh, some regulatory aspects, or if you have an ISO program in place and you're required to do certain things, then those are um, still classified as non-value added, but they're not going to be removed because you need them for business. So, yeah, my example that I think of there is the pilot walking around and checking everything on the airplane before he gets in to fly it. Those, that inspection is, is, is non-value added but necessary. <laughs> Yes, it is. And, and I guarantee that pilot would not get in that airplane without doing that. Inspection. I would hope so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, not necessary to add value to the product or service. Customer is not willing to pay for the step. You know, so those are things you should look for from a, a non-value-added step. Now, I think that, that discussing this with the group of people or the team that you're working with in process, I think, and we've, we've covered this to some degree, they need to understand this is not the fact of their job is not value-added, but some of the steps that they do uh, could be non-value-added and that attention and their focus needs to be placed possibly in other areas or other things. 
So, you know, I think that that's the discussion that you need to have with people. Well, yeah, it's, it's freeing them up from what you have as non-value added to do more value added items. It's not to yes. eradicate their job. It's to, to be able to do more of what customers are willing to pay for. If you've got a good product and a customer is willing to pay for that product, if you produce more, will you be able to sell more? You know, and that's the whole point of being in business is, is actually selling things. Well, and here's the key, making sure that not only employees understand that, but that employers understand the spirit of that. Well, that's, that's where you have to, and that's why we're here talking about this stuff. You have to bridge exactly that gap. Right. You have to bridge that's that exactly gap. exactly right. Employers have a responsibility in this also to not abuse, uh, you know, this, this process so that, you know, people can... Um, be assured that you know they're not going to be abused by doing these kind of things, mm -hmm. because obviously if they are, then you're going to lose out in the end as an employer. Yeah, short-term, long-term yeah. thought process. You know, it, exactly. it works. It works in anything that you do. If you if you try to get that short-term benefit for a long-term detriment, you know you're you're going to be out of work or out of business or unhappy in the future. So I think we've uh, I think we covered this pretty well. Is there anything else you want to touch on? On man, the process, I get man? back to spaghetti diagrams. I love spaghetti diagrams. I, I you know because they're pictorial, they're very visual. Yeah, and I think that's probably why we also like value stream maps. You know because they are so pictorial and so visual. Well, and and I guess the other thing too about that is that what I like seeing the surprise and the, the realization of the folks that you're working with once you show them that type of a diagram. And, you know, people get people get set in their ways and they do what they, they have done forever, for the most part. And, um, you know, when you show them, say, hey, you know, if we change this, we would save, you know, moving that, that document or that piece of steel, you know, 400 feet, save time, blah, 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 and everything like that, what it, what it can save. Um, usually you get that look of, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then you get more buy-in for future events. Well, and then to realize that these diagrams, once you do create them, they're living documents now. Yeah. You know, they, you should use them and change them as things in your environment change. Absolutely. So um, I think we'll go ahead and uh, wrap, wrap up right here. Here, um, you know I what, we, we, here, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, interrupt you there because we, uh, we haven't done a pick of the week in a while. We didn't talk we about this. We haven't done a pick in a week. And so what what is going to be our pick of the week? Oh, all right, that's right. We're going to together because <laughs> we can't pick of two of them each week. Um, mine and I, I go back to my other hobby of taking photos. And, and there's an app. There's an app called Snapseed that you can either pay ninety nine cents or get a free one that that does a pretty darn good job. And it's another uh, photo editing software for your smartphone. Snapseed, pretty good. Snapseed. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I will add an app that I just started using uh, here a couple weeks ago, and I actually used it for my side business, um, but it's called Asana. If you're looking for a cloud-based uh, project management tool and uh, a tool that really does a great job of uh, collaborative work from a task management standpoint or a project management standpoint, Check it out, Asana. It's it's very very good. They've done a great job with their interface and and how it tracks information and 
and it's very inexpensive too. Yeah, you know like what? As in free for the first ten users. <laughs> all right, that's good. You know what we need to do? Maybe we need to have a show of all of our picks because there's because you have this one. There's been a couple of other process improvement picks and things like that, and unless people are writing them down. Because yeah. I know I haven't written them all down. <laughs> we should go back and, uh, and talk about some of the uh, yeah, pretty neat that. things. Pretty neat things. Maybe just a side note somewhere along the way. Up, break up our uh, podcast from business stuff to something yeah. uh, app-based. Well, or, or, or yeah, just or tool-based. Yeah, fun-based. Got to have fun. 2017, let's have some fun this year. There you go. All right. Well, with that, why don't we go ahead and uh, wind up the show here. I hope everybody in, has enjoyed uh, this topic, and we will be back with you next week. So take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Man versus Business. Please note that neither Sean nor myself are business consultants. We just have a strong passion for discussing all things business. Please remember to visit sigmatree.co to see our other podcasts, our business ventures, and our blog. And by the way, you can also drop us a line from the message page. Again, thank you and have a good week. Mm-hmm.